0: Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 206 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. And I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. My guest for this episode is James Bogart, CEO and founder of Bogart Wealth. Let me just do a quick bio here. A seasoned wealth advisor, James Bogart, takes personal pride in assisting executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals pursuing their dreams through striking, highly customized financial planning strategies. As principal of Bogart Wealth, he focuses both on maintaining the highest level of customer service and attention to detail possible, and on seeking to deliver the most effective technology, reporting tools, and analysis to every Bogart Wealth client. James's practice spans wealth plan design, investment management, estate planning, family legacy planning, business succession, charitable giving, asset protection, and retirement concerns, with a special insight and focus on multi generational strategies. My interview with James is part of our um, series on RIAs and digging deep into their tech stacks. Uh, We love talking about that. We love working with our REA clients and building tech stacks, optimizing and improving. Uh, So we're always bringing on uh, REAs to talk about the tech stacks, how they got there, what what their challenges were, try to share some information with you all uh, if you're out there trying to build a tech stack as well. But before we get started, I have a message for executives at wealth management firms. Your tech debt is holding back your business growth. Your old software platform is old and rusted and falling apart and needs an overhaul. Your disparate systems don't communicate with each other and it's driving your ops team and your advisors crazy with manual processes and errors. If you're in charge of technology or operations at a broker dealer, RIA, family office, or TAMP, you should run, not walk, to our website, azuregroup.com and fill out the Contact Us form on the homepage. Our experienced team can evaluate your current technology ecosystem, deliver targeted recommendations, optimize your existing systems, and operations will run in RFP and help you implement new software to take your firm to the next level. You can take advantage of our free consultation by going to ezragroup.com. A couple quick housekeeping notes. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Please check out our uh, charitable sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. All right, now let's kick this thing off. And let me introduce our next guest. It is James Bogart, CEO and president and founder of Bogart Wealth. James, welcome.
1: Thank you, Craig. Pleasure to be here.
0: I'm glad you could be here. I'm glad you were available to talk to uh, me. Where are you calling in from?
1: So today I'm in the Woodlands, Texas.
0: Excellent. How's weather down there?
1: Hot, hot, hot and hot. Um yeah so we we have three offices one in McLean Virginia uh Woodlands Texas and then Houston Texas so I get the pleasure of bouncing between our three
0: offices that is a pleasure I travel plenty myself I'm in New Jersey and it's today's the first day where it's feeling cold so it's so always-
1: Virginia is full on fall at this point 55 I saw this morning so I'm I'm actually eager to go back uh end of the week but
0: Hey, I am a sweater on for those of you who can't see. Uh, if you're not watching this on video, um, it's a little chilly, but we're gonna we're gonna power through this, even though you're well, hot. And I'm cold.
1: In, in Texas, they blast the air conditioner, so I got the sweater on because <laughs> of <the> air conditioner.
0: <laughs> That's something I do. I've, I've learned over many years of travel is that whenever I go to Texas or Florida, I always wear long sleeves because every building is at 65 degrees and it's cold.
1: This is the time of year I get sick down here. It, it's because you go from car to, you know, these covered walkways, you get a little bit of perspiration, then you go right back into, you know, 65 degree office building and mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's, right.
1: wreaks havoc on the immune
0: system. Oh, man. Well, we have, we can have a separate podcast about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, So um, let us jump in, please uh, give our audience a 30 second elevator pitch for Bogart Wealth.
1: Yeah, so Bogart Wealth is a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, we are managing about two point six billion of client assets, approximately thirteen hundred households. You know, our core competencies are financial planning, investment management, tax optimization, as well as tax preparation. Uh, we have a very unique niche uh, dealing with corporate executives that have defined benefit plans, pension plans, and uh, we've we've found that in the very volatile interest rate environment, the need for advice around how to manage an optimized pension plan is probably at the utmost level of importance.
0: Absolutely, especially for some executives that a large chunk of their wealth is is, a, is tied up in them.
1: Well, I mean, anyone who has a pension and if they've been at a company for a longer period of time, which, you know, by the way, we're seeing less and less of that happen. But, you know, some of these executives are there 35, 40 years and, you know, the, the, it, it's, you know, over half their nest egg, if not more in some cases. Right. And, and you know, generally every one percent movement in interest rates is about a 10 percent reduction on a lump sum value that they would have. So it's real money
0: it we'll again, against a 10% reduction?
1: Yeah, approximately. Yeah, so if as rates have gone up, you know, almost 300% in the last year and a half, yeah, you know, it's about a 30% reduction in some of these lump sum values.
0: I'm sure a lot of executives don't even realize that until well, that. most
1: don't. It yeah, most don't. And and actually it's been very insightful the last 3 years because we saw the right, yeah, you know, the, the the movement down and even that didn't necessarily bring it to their attention as as things started to rise back up you know that a little bit but it's been more of of layoffs and redundancies that have kind of been the catalyst for people looking at it
0: so you mentioned you're a 2.6 billion uh you've had some pretty rapid growth the last three years you, you talk about that and how it's uh well the impact on your your technology and your internal processes
1: yeah. So uh, three years ago, we were at 680 million. And since then, obviously, we've had about $2 billion of asset growth. And, and all of that's organic, by the way. So so no M&A for us. But naturally, when you have that level of growth, it tests every system, every process. We went from 12 employees to 35 full-time employees at this point. Uh, we've got a couple contractors as well that we work with. But the point is, is that, you know, we've, we've been forced probably more than most, to not only enhance efficiencies, processes, and redundancies, but also using technology kind of as that that pivotal integration point for all of our team. And, and naturally, when you have that many new staff members as well, you, you've got a training component to it. You've got uh, different opinions of how to make things better. Um, yeah, So all of that's been part of the the process, if you
0: will. It can be stressful. On all of your internal systems, we, we've seen it before. At Ezra Group, we work with a lot of RIA's, and the ones that are going fast uh, do. It's a good problem to have that you're growing fast, but then you need to take care of, as you mentioned, uh, your processes, technology, and your your backups. Because if you don't, it's going to come back and, and bite you.
1: Well, and yeah, 100%. And even it's some of the the you know hardware questions, right? I mean, we we actually launched the RIA in 2016, and now, for example, like computers are starting to to, to Reach their life cycle, and and then it's to you know do we want everybody to have laptops and, yes. <laughs> uh, or the virtual environment right as we've been you know having to adapt to that as well and and work from home policies et cetera you yeah, know so it's how do you keep your employees you know, efficient you know and and it's it's an interesting dynamic as the company has grown and and candidly as our payroll has grown you know I, I look at. Just marginal enhancements with technology can have a very meaningful economic enhancement to the company or specifically to bottom line. I mean, it, it, you just think about some of the expenditures a little bit differently in the sense of it might cost, you know, 50 to 100 and whatever the number is. Right. But if it increases employees productivity by three, five, 10 percent, well, then it was worth the the upfront expense in order to be able to do it.
0: We hear that as well. It's it's all about, I mean, you know, people, right? So your many companies we work with realize, I mean, you want to think clients first, but it's really not. It's really your employees first, because if you're not focused on them, they're not gonna be able to serve your clients very well.
1: Without a doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, and it and it, it it's kind of a, a cycle that continues to have to happen as well. Um and and frankly, too, I've noticed the the geographic sprawl even of our customer base has mm-hmm. continued to change. You know, I mean, so we have three offices. Which is a a good thing and a bad thing, right? So like I, I joke that I'm sometimes like a traveling doctor that bounces between them. But you know, I need to be able to just dial in and and get up and not have to deal with you know twenty to thirty minutes of uptime or, or downloading something. and um it's it's one where now we're also seeing not only the employee base is, is spreading, but even our customer base is spreading. and and, Candidly, you know, the Virginia demographic versus the Texas demographic has been very, very different as well. Like, for example, Texas was very much an in-person environment, even throughout most of the pandemic. It never really truly deviated to the to the virtual or cloud environment uh, or, or virtual meetings, for example. But if I compare it to Virginia, I mean, Virginia is the exact opposite where we had to to, to go virtual very, very quickly. And even today, I mean, we're, we're you know what, three years in or three and a half years in now. Virginia still is is for us predominantly virtual meetings. Oh. Uh, whereas Texas, I'd actually argue now, Texas is starting to get more virtual because I think the customers are seeing the efficiency of of virtual meeting environments. And and it's not necessarily because of, of perception of COVID or, or the or the risk of COVID. It's more of, of time management for them. Oh. Um, which it's it's fascinating because me as as kind of the Little, I don't want to say gypsy, but you know, traveling nomad that I am, you know, between the different offices, it's like, well, do I really need to be doing all the traveling that I'm doing now? Um,
0: yeah, that's yeah. a different question. I mean, I find uh, running my company that, uh, I mean, I love Zoom calls. You know, the 2020 was our best year. We, we we really had a great year on in the cons, on the consulting side in 2020 because we didn't have to travel. We could we were a lot more efficient in doing our work since most of it is can can be done remotely. Because um, since we we're, we're, we deliver advice similar to a financial advisor, it's what we do is, is give advice, on technologies and strategy and operations. But my advisor is in New Jersey. I've only been to their office once. Sure, so it's it's all it's all remote and Zoom and emails.
1: Well, and 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 candidly, I'll tell you, the, the growth for us was because of the adaption of digital mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so prior to the pandemic, in some for us. 2020 wasn't necessarily our best year, but 21 and 22 were uh, because of the changes that we had made in 2020. Mm -hmm. And in a large part, it was the transition. And we're going to talk a little bit more in detail, but the transition over on a digital platform, whereas prior to the pandemic, we were very much the traditional, uh, you know, rubber chicken dinner advisory group from a marketing perspective where everything was live and in person and as we migrated to you know, videos and, and, and the educational offering that we did in person, now moving it digital, but we removed the geographic footprint. So again, it caused the sprawl of our customer base, but it also allowed us to target market customers that were in other parts of the world that weren't previously being marketed to.
0: It's a brave new world today with uh you know no geographic boundaries everyone's saying that that they're realizing that they can hire people anywhere they can get clients anywhere and it's uh it's it's really been a boon for everyone i think but let's 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 shift gears um and get into tech because we love talking about tech stacks here at the wealth tech today podcast so can you run down your tech stack for us and provide a bit of insight into why you chose those
1: so, yeah, you know, some of it is the same that we started with when we launched the RA in 2016, then some of it has been getting revamped uh, along the way. But the, the chassis for everything for us technology is Salesforce. We're specifically using the Accelerate version of Salesforce, and, and I'll talk about some of the iterations of that in a minute. But then uh, we're a Black Diamond firm, so Black Diamond is doing uh, our billing, our rebalancing, our, our aggregation features for us um, it's pretty robust all-encompassing my logic when we launched the firm was I wanted something that was going to have more of a, an evergreen feel for us as we grew that they were going to be able to grow with us uh, it kind of took us to the evaluation of Orion Tamarack and Black Diamond and and frankly, to me, Black Diamond was the one that just was was satisfying all the needs and checking all the boxes, and and they've grown so quickly as a company as well that they've actually been able to really adapt and, and listen well. Um, it's it's interesting because you know some of the pieces of technology with Black Diamond that I didn't even realize, but you know we're some of the largest users of of certain features. That now you know they they come to us and ask us what we want, <laughs> and and they're willing to to look at ways of of enhancing our tech stack, even within them. I um, mean, what's interesting coming back to the, the Salesforce, you know, Black Diamond has their own version of Salesforce called selenica but it's very, um, dare I say, locked down and cumbered. And one of the things that I love about the way that Salesforce is structured with Accelerate is that you know, we have the ability to customize it. And that customization, specifically the tasking, the workflows, the automation features has been paramount for us and some of the tracking and the growth. I mean, if you look at our our business development pipeline, our marketing uh, funnels, it's, I'm going to argue the unicorn in the space. I mean, and, and it's solely because we've been able to, to fully build it out the way that we need it in order to be very efficient along the way. Um, now, we still have had to have human interaction associated with it. Like, so, for example, I have a, a staff member that her sole purpose is owning everything related to Salesforce. And and I call her internally, I call her director of first impressions, but it's because she is responsible for the transition from, from a prospective client all the way into becoming a client and what that experience looks like. And it it might be that she has no actual interaction with the prospect, but she's, she's holding the hand of the advisors along the way, but leaning extremely heavily on Salesforce in order to be able to do so. Um, And then, Kind of back to tech stack. So we use e-money for all of our our planning, and and e-money is the planning chassis. Uh, We are directly integrating tax. So we actually have tax performers that are done through our tax affiliate. Um, And then for risk profile assessment, we're using hidden hidden levers. On the portfolio management side, we're using Bloomberg. Uh, We have a Bloomberg terminal in-house. We use Y Charts, we use Morningstar um i'm probably forgetting a couple of pieces of, of tech we're using on the pm side as well but yeah, you know, we're we're pretty robust there but the key theme is integration i want all the technology talking to each other spend a boatload of time and money on, on getting that integration right but you know i'd say that that's been one of the key reasons why we've been able to scale scale our growth is leveraging the technology that's
0: what we see that's our, our main you know th- uh, deliverable is is Del- deliverable is helping uh, RIA's scale their growth with tech. So you guys have done a fantastic job. Um, one thing you mentioned is uh, Salesforce Accelerate versus Salentica, and it is a big question we get a lot from, from a lot of RIA's the difference between the open Salesforce architecture versus um, these this, what, what we sometimes call CRM overlays, but are really CRM customizations. Celentica uh, Practify accelerate uh, which you can alf- also find on, on the Kitsis Ezra Group Advisor Tech Map. And that they are they're not really overlays because you can't just install them on top of Salesforce. They're really a complete Salesforce implementation. If you have Salesforce now you can't just employ, you know deploy Solentica. You have to convert. Mm-hmm. It's really a conversion. Now a lot of firms like that. They like Practify, they like Solentica because of the way they've customized um, Salesforce, and they don't have the capabilities, or the time, or the or the or the resources as you guys have, to customize the workflows and automations the way you did. Um, so, how much effort did you guys put into to do your customization and build out your what you liked about Salesforce?
1: Hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, I've been super blessed. I have a member of my team that, you know, he's he is my internal technology officer. He's been with me. Uh, since he was an intern. And um, he knows the firm inside and out. He knows me very well. And so now, you know, we have this synergy between the two of us where when I say to him, this is what I need, you know, he'll come back in, in a couple of days with, you know, here's the solution. I'm like, wow. Um, and you know, and, and then it, it's we talk about the growth, right? He's an example of someone who grew from intern to financial advisor. But with being a small firm, you wear so many different hats. You know, I'd argue he's our technology officer as well. Um, and I actually think that that's a blessing and a curse, right? Because because he's an advisor, he understands the client side so well that he's able to build a lot of the integrations and a lot of the the workflows from that. But at the same time, too, he's also an advisor, right? So not necessarily having the dedicated ability to devote his time and energy into doing that, but uh, it has been lots and lots of time, but I've been super blessed to have him because he knows the, the business so well. I mean, frankly, he was part of the conversations when we built it in the front end because he's passionate about it. He's more engaged about it. than I'm not going to say I'm not, but it, it, it's, yeah, he, he, he's, he is very willing to spend the time researching and looking at different options and how it can be impactful both internally, but also externally. You know, the comment that you made early, earlier that it is very much about efficiency with, with our staff so that they can be more, more directly impacting clients. Uh, you, you have to look at the technology in order to be able to do that.
0: Yes, you do. I'm glad you guys have someone. And that's not an uncommon uh, example that we've heard from the RAS we work with that they have an advisor on their staff that is just a techie and gets in the weeds and sort of grows up into that technology officer role. Uh, it, it's, it works both ways. Some firms bring in someone from the outside as their CTO or CIO, chief, Inve- chief in- not investment officer, chief information officer. Uh, a lot of firms we work with uh, because we at Esra Group act as a, sort of their right hand. You know, We call it a fractional CTO, but it's really a, um, a CTO support um, a role that we play. Because they can't do everything at once, right? And they and they've got a million things to focus on. So bringing us in helps them a focus on the the bigger picture while we do the implementations. Let's say of a new financial planning, or new investment analytics, or a new portfolio management system, or improving operations. So it's good that you have someone who who grew up at the firm and really understands your your messaging and your culture.
1: Well, and or or like for example, one of the the biggest things that I've noticed as we've grown i'm less involved in the proverbial weeds as we used to be and and there's a level of anxiety that comes from that right i mean you know when when you're kind of doing it all to then having to delegate it all right you don't have the full visibility of it and 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 so now we've really had to build out all the kpis and and looking at you know how to assign metrics to success off of different elements of the business and, and I had said to him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm losing sight. I, I, you know, I'm getting a little anxious about it, frustrated <laughs> sometimes. And uh, he turned around and built me a dashboard where, you know, and this is all through Salesforce. We have the data, right? It's already there. I just can't see it in an easy way to interpret. And, you know, and again, within 72 hours, I have a dashboard that I literally hit refresh on and boom, everything's there and populated. And, and it's my proverbial cockpit on, on the business, which is, awesome. And then, you know, related to that, now I can see historical tracking as well, which it's all right there at the push of a button.
0: Can you share a couple of the KPIs that you uh, track on that dashboard?
1: So it, actually the honest answer is it depends, um, but it really depends on which department or which which role that we're looking at. But like, for example, I have an entire business development funnel that we're tracking. So I can look at every single prospect by stage where they're at one of the things i do to manage the just kind of the future and the success of the firm is i'm very cognizant of what our pipeline is both at a 12 month but also at a 36 month basis i manage our business development process to to have as much in the funnel as the size of the firm so right now we're about 2.6 billion in my funnel we're at about 1.6 right? you know, what that says to me is that we really got to ramp up some of our BD. Um, and, and a lot of that has been capacity driven just based on the growth. We've closed a lot. So, of course, that's brought our funnel down. But then we track everything from a uh, number of financial plans that we do. I I do this for twofold. Obviously, it's part of the, the lead gen. But I also look at it from a capacity perspective. Like, for example, when I see that we did 68 financial plans in a quarter, and, and that's new business related activity when it's customary for us to do 23. Well, that says to me, I need to be hiring more people, right? And, and helps us with some of the stack management work. Um, but even on this, I've got, you know, all, all of our revenue metrics, cash on hand. We look at uh, what our different models are. I've got KPIs for them. How are they performing relative to benchmarks? Um, looking at revenue per customer, looking at, at uh, lost clients versus one client. We're very blessed to have a client retention ratio that's closer to one hundred than ninety nine, uh, which is awesome and and well above industry you know averages if you will. But I think you know again that's these are some of the things that I'm looking at to kind of help us with managing the flows.
0: Fantastic, thank you for sharing that. That's uh it's important. I think a lot of firms are are interested to hear what their peers are doing and how they're tracking. Uh, so well,
1: what I it just related to that, right? And, and not to go too much into the weeds, but each of our directors is assigned KPIs. And and so like, I just listed off a bunch of the ones that I look at as the CEO, but everyone, like, for example, my COO, she has her KPIs, my CIO, he has his KPIs, director of planning, uh, director of, of advisory, each respective one is being assigned KPIs. And again, I don't manage to specifically the KPIs themselves. But they are directionally elements that I'm able to use to track. Like, for example, with advisory, I can see the number of meetings. And, and number of meetings per week is a very good indication of productivity, but it's also an indication of what we're going to need in terms of, of future staffing. And you know, to me, this human capital component is, is just as important as the technology is, you know, and, and watching what we can do to make our, our team more effective, more productive. We were talking about that a little bit earlier, but that's an integral part of the growth that we need to be having.
0: You mentioned integrations as an important part. What are some of the integrations you have built? What are some of the frustrations you have? Because we're at Ezra Group, we are all in on integrations. We even launched uh, the Wealth Tech Integration Score as research on the industry to show, to help firms like Bogart Wealth understand how different vendors and applications integrate with other applications uh, to make it a little more transparent. So what are some of the challenges you you ran into when you're trying to integrate these different disparate applications?
1: So where I think we still have friction, I call frictions, frictions in the process, uh, things that, that slow things down. But where I still have friction is on investment proposals um, relative to getting data from Salesforce directly into there. So I, I like the ability to push a button and it auto populates, right? So we, we've got a full integration with Black Diamond, Salesforce, eMoney, that all works. We haven't had as seamless of an integration on the investment proposal side yet and, and still working on a solution that, in my opinion, obviously is, is in line with compliance, but is more of an integrated approach. You know, And so part of our process with uh, uh, prospective customers, we come in, we do a financial plan, we understand their cash flow needs. Uh, we go through, we do a hidden levers, risk profile assessment, it signs them a score. And then at that point, we can build out an investment recommendation for them. That's where the rub still is in the process. And and as recently as yesterday was interacting with my team on ways to enhance that process. And, and if it means that we need to find a new technology vendor in order to be able to do that, then so be it. But right now, that's an example of one where we've built it internally. and And it's I don't want to say archaic, but it's you know it's using Excel macros and and uh, and then building out PowerPoint presentations associated with it, but it's 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 very clunky and and not as streamlined as I think it needs to be, and you know again as we were talking about earlier, it's to me technology is about efficiency, it's about enhancing the productivity of the workforce. And, and if it means that we need to spend some money, but it, it, it ultimately will make the team more effective, you know, or, or more simply, if I can buy a piece of technology to replace what I would need to be spending on an employee to have them go do something that can be more impactful to value added for the clients in the future, then that to me is, is a very worthwhile expenditure.
0: I would agree hundred uh, percent. One of the things you mentioned about Excel macros, we when we come into a new RIA that hires us for our fractional CTO, the first thing we ask is, if Excel went away, what would happen to your business?
1: <laughs>
0: you, you, uh, you know, uh, the answer is we would not be able to open our doors the next morning. So,
1: I, you know, the thing I'll say about my team is is they're very versatile and and they would figure out a way to make it work but that would definitely be friction
0: um right. yeah, everyone would figure out how to make it work of course but the joke is that you have so many things you don't realize do you sit there and do an inventory we always do a current state assessment inventory of all their of all the tech you've got and how everything's connected and all the processes and when you start seeing well excel is here excel is there excel is here and because it's it's so easy to bridge the gap between as you've done between different disparate systems that don't talk um, to throw Excel in there, whether it's macros or, or manual Excel or, or dropping in data or exporting, importing. It's so common. Uh, and then you don't realize after even you've only been around since 2016, we work with firms that have been 20, 30 years. So they built up tremendous uh, manual processes in Excel and emails and other things. So it's you're, you're not alone in, in having these uh, clunky processes, but at least you identify them and know you need to get rid of them.
1: Well, and... I think this is one where like one of our, our core values is to grow. And and I don't mean that solely in AUM and, and revenue, but I really do mean in process enhancements. Um, I think, you know, that the, the blessing and the curse of having a lot of new people is you're kind of required to constantly be looking at this stuff and you're, you're constantly getting feedback on ways that, that, it would work better. Like, for example, like some of these stuff. Some of these things are, in my opinion, extremely basic. But like, all of the frequently used documents that we used to have on, you know, Excel. Uh, excuse me, in uh, folders on a on a shared drive that you know employees could have to go digging through to go get. Yeah, they might be able to pin them. But like now, all the frequently used ones are right on the landing page of Salesforce. Right, like the the new household form, or the retirement planning questionnaire, or a budget worksheet. Like. All these things—it's a very basic one, but I'm like, oh, that little light bulb that went off of—of of, this is just a way that that saves again marginal efficiency. But if it saves somebody a minute from going to find it and to just click a button, then yeah, I mean that's enhancement to the process.
0: It's what we used to call in the old days the intranet homepage, right? Mm-hmm. Where you could go to find all the things you need for the for the company. You know, employee directory, all list of documents and forms and processes, and just one page we used to have on the internet. You've got, you know, Salesforce is your internal intranet.
1: Well, and, and we used to literally just have a, a whole folder system that every employee had access to, and then next thing you know, I mean, that thing has got terabytes of data mm-hmm. on it with all the client folders, and yeah, I mean, it's it's now you know, and again, you're talking about an example of how we've grown, but. We're, where we're still using that to an extent, but now we're integrating SharePoint with it. Um, you know, and then it's layered where we've got specific uh, uh drives for specific departments, you know, and and now of course we've had the gateway, certain employees can't have access to certain things. <laughs> like
0: Yeah. It's only gonna get more complicated. So you mentioned SharePoint. Uh do you is that your document management solution or do you have uh others? SharePoint. That's where you store all your client documents and they can, they can access them from there, like a, like on a vault. through oh, sorry. Account. No. So that's
1: internal. Uh, no, everything with client is actually going through black diamonds vault.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We've, we've, we've let black diamond be the chassis for virtually everything related to to clients.
0: Got it. Um, how about, um, so you, uh, you mentioned investment proposals that's still a manual process.
1: It is. So it, it is using a combination of of Excel macros with PowerPoint integrated with hidden levers. But yeah, that's one where
0: I was gonna say, did you look at hidden 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 levers? Because they're they've got an excellent um proposal generation tool.
1: They do. Um it's still clunky.
0: Gotcha. Good feedback. I'm sure they appreciate that.
1: Um, again i think every firm has their their way of doing things right and and so by the way it's the same even on the financial planning side right like we've got e-money as the chassis that builds out all of the the different reports risk profile excuse me the cash flow management stuff but we still have powerpoint documents that we integrate with it we've got proprietary tools that we've built on the planning side that we integrate with our plans so i mean we're still pulling a whole bunch of things together to build this digital document for a prospective customer. Mm -hmm.
0: Nothing, no application I found does everything you need. There's always a little bit more. You want to tweak it. You want to change it. You want to make it your own. Bingo. All right. So we're, we're actually running out of time. Um, Can you um, talk a little bit about some of the uh, things that you have planned coming in the next, you know, six, 12 months?
1: So, you know, big thing is, is as, as the firm has grown, you know, we're now bringing technology off dedicated technology officer, you know, part of what we've had happen is, you know, we had many people doing many things, multiple hats. As we've grown, we've now had the ability to be more focused, more specific. Uh, so the main thing right now is bringing a dedicated technology officer on the team to be able to handle both hard and soft technology needs. Uh, for example, we've got Computers that are at lifecycle, we're talking about if we want to move everything over to to laptops, you know, we're building out a new office space, uh, everything technology related to that, you know, but then it's coming back to these integrations, you know, you you can't ignore AI in this environment. And I think anybody who is ignoring AI is really uh, just kind of getting a little bit further and further behind the rest of the pack. And so for me, over the next 6, 12, 18, probably even 36 months, it's going to be a lot of uh, utilization of AI, how to enhance the process, make make the workforce more efficient. You know, we, we still have a regulatory component with AI that has to be watched, of course. You know, like, for example, internal meetings, we can use some of the dictation services, whereas uh, meetings with clients where we're talking about sensitive or, or private data can't do it yet. Um, I still think that related to what architecture the, the you know the, the AI is pulling off of still can create a little bit of, of uh, friction along the way in the process. It's not necessarily always accurate. So we're building up our, our databases and archives and then utilizing that as as where we're pulling from. Uh, but even just the workflows, right Enhancing that as well. So I would say it's a long-winded way of saying more technology.
0: More tech, more tech, that's good. Good for consultants, we love more tech. Uh, man, we this time just flew by, James. Uh, tell everyone where they can learn more information about Bogart Wealth.
1: Yep. Um, bogartwealth.com. So it's b o g a r t w e a l t h.com. Um, and uh, happy to be a resource if anybody has any questions.
0: appreciate your time and, and sharing so much about your firm with our audience. Thanks so much, James.
1: Thank you, Craig.
0: Hey, it's Craig again. And here are my top three takeaways from this episode. A great discussion with James about their tech stack. Um, The firm launched in 2016, and they grew dramatically in the last three years from 680 million to over 2.6 billion. That's incredible. All organic growth, no M&A, which he mostly attributes to being driven by their digital platform. We dove into that platform. The Black Diamond from uh, Advent SSNC is the core of their tech stack. And uh, it's uh, enhanced with e-money, financial planning, hidden levers for stress testing and proposal, and Morningstar for investment analytics, rounding out that group. Now, we've helped a lot of REA clients not only with their tech stacks, but building out dashboards, building data warehouses uh, to be able to provide advanced analytics to run their business, similar to what James's team has done in Salesforce. Now, every RIA should have similar analytics available, things like revenue per customer, amount of cash on hand, uh, how your models are performing against benchmarks, and so on. Having all that information uh, and owning your data, it's the sign of a mature organization. All right, you've made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Please go to our website, EzraGroup.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, information, updates. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all again next time.